Well, hello and welcome to Faith Life 365, episode number 18. My name is Tim Hardison. I'm really excited about being here today because we're going to be talking about hindrances to our faith. Now, if you missed any of the past episodes, you can go back, listen, and get caught up. Uh, just visit to our website and blog at www.faithlife365.org. Now, in this episode, we're going to talk about our place in God and His place in us. Now, let's say a prayer and get started. Father God, we come before you in the name of Jesus. We thank you, Father, for this day. We thank you for our many blessings. Lord God, we pray that you're going to open our eyes now and open our ears that we may see and hear. Father, give us knowledge, wisdom, and understanding. Lord, increase our faith today as we read and study your word. In Jesus' name, all right. Now, if we have accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we've been born again in the Spirit. We've been made to be a new creation, a new creature in God. We've been made the righteousness of God. So what does that mean to us? What is our place in God, and what is His place in us? Now, if we are born again, does that mean we're now, we instantly have a new spirit mind? You know, we've got all the answers. It's all just right there. We're, we're born again. Well, unfortunately, that's not how it works. Now, God can do that. He could give you that instant divine revelation, knowledge, and wisdom to where you see and know all. He could do that. But just as a, a newborn baby is in the flesh, you know, they have to grow up and learn. Well, we are now newborn baby spirits in Christ Jesus. It doesn't matter what your physical age is. As a newborn, again, Christian, you've got a new created spirit and you're a babe in that spirit. Now that means it's time to start learning. Let's look at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, and this is a King James Version. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? So now, unless and until we renew our minds, which are of the flesh, we will not know the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. And without knowing this, we'll never know our place in God and His place in us. See, since birth, our minds have learned and developed primarily by our five senses— our minds are conformed to this world. Our minds follow the rules, the standards, the laws of this world. It's, it's been developed in us. Our mind thinks and behaves according to the socially acceptable standards that it's been developed under. Our parents and culture play a major role in how our minds have been developed to conform. Now, some of our minds were developed in loving families, some in loving Christian families, Others' minds have been developed in non-loving and even abusive atmospheres. There's a huge variety of environments and atmospheres and cultures that our human minds are brought up in and learn in. Our mind will develop and conform to the environment, atmosphere, and culture that it's exposed to. Now, regardless of where or how we were raised, those of us that have accepted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior are now a new spirit creation in Christ Jesus. We have to begin the transformation process of our flesh by renewing our mind. Our mind has to be taught to follow our new born-again spirit, which was created in the Spirit of God in Christ Jesus. 
We have to learn to hear and be led by the Holy Spirit, the Comforter which God sends to us, and to no longer be led by our five senses, often referred to as the flesh. You know, we can't be led by the flesh, which that's that the flesh is our five senses when when it comes down to it. This is not an instantaneous process. Now, of course, our five senses still play a major role in our life, but we have to learn to hear and follow the Spirit of God that's speaking inside of us over our five senses. How do we do this? We renew our minds by reading and studying God's Word, by hearing the Word preached, by meditating on God's Word, by praying to God for discernment, for knowledge, understanding, for wisdom. How we approach the reading and studying of God's Word also determines the place God holds in our life and at the level at which our minds are going to be renewed. Do we pick up and read the Bible as any old book off the shelf? I mean, is that what it is? Is it a story? Or do we pick up the Bible and read it as the holy, inspired, living Word of Almighty God? There's a huge difference in how you approach that. We should always read God's Word as if He were speaking it directly to us. We should read the words of Jesus as if we were His disciples sitting at His feet or walking with Him down, down the roads at that time. Picture yourself with Him. We should never read the Bible as if it's some storybook off the shelf, telling stories that happened so long ago that, well, the words are probably even dusty. No, no. God's Word is alive. God's Word is now. It's alive. It's in the present. It's now. As we said here, it's now. It's still alive. It's growing. His, 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 his word never returns void or without fruit. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 through 13 of the New Living Translation. For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before His eyes, and He is the one to whom we are accountable. Treating the Bible, the living Word of God, as any old book off the shelf will often result in spiritual failure. If we do not approach the Bible as the inspired living Word of God that it is, we'll not learn His perfect will for us, we'll not take it seriously, and we'll not fully believe and have faith in the Word. We'll not be able to properly understand and assume our place in God in the heavenlies as the body of Christ. There are many who have believed and accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, but that's where it ended. That's where it ends. Uh, they've never fully learned their place in God in their born-again spirit. They're, they're just content in, okay, I, I've accepted God. I'm a, I'm a new creation, and I've got eternal life. Thank you, Jesus. And that's, that's where it stops. You know, they, they go to church every Sunday. They go to dinner right after, and maybe Wednesdays too. But that's where it stops. Paul describes this in Hebrews 5 and 12, the English Standard Version. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you, again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. See, accepting Jesus as our Savior and becoming a born-again spirit is just the beginning of a long journey of growth and fellowship in the Spirit with our Father God. So what is our place in God, and what is His place in us? When our spirit is born again, we become joined as one with God, and Christ Jesus. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17, it's the New Living Translation, says, 
but the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. We become sons and daughters of God. He becomes our Father. 1 John verse 3 and 2 of the New American Standard Version says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when He appears, we will be like Him, because we will see Him just as He is. That's what we've been created into, and we will see when, when, when we go to heaven, when we see God face to face. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7 of the New Living Translation. But when the right time came, God sent His Son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent Him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that He could adopt us as His very own children. And because we are His children, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are His child, God has made you His heir. Romans chapter 8, verses 14 through 17, the New English translation, it says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery, leading again into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness to our spirit that we are God's children, and if children, then heirs, namely heirs of God and also fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, so we may also be glorified with him. See, our place in God is as his children, and his place in us is as our Father. God our Father is our provider. He's our protector, our healer, our comforter. He's our shepherd, our refuge, our teacher, and much, much more. As our Father, he also provides correction. Now, we are to heed the word of our Father. We are to read and study and meditate on His holy, living Word. So for those who ask, He freely gives and sends the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, to dwell in us. Luke chapter 11, verses 9 through 13, the New Living Translation. And so I tell you, keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, everyone who seeks finds, and to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. You fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? See, it doesn't end there either. We are called to be the church, the ecclesia, the body of Christ. What does this mean? The King James Bible translated the Greek word ecclesia as church. In 1611, uh, when King James commissioned the Bible to be translated into English, 47 scholars went about the task. Well, King James did not personally oversee this translation. He appointed Bancroft, the Bishop of London, to oversee the project. Now, according to a textual history of the King James Bible by David Norton, there are three copies of a set of rules that are believed to have been circulated amongst the translators. And rule number three reads, the old ecclesiastical words to be kept, such as the word church, not to be translated congregation etc. Now, there are different speculations as to why this rule was added. As congregation 
would perhaps provide a better meaning of the word ecclesia. Some say that King James uh, had this rule put in to protect his kingdom. He didn't want the people to have a complete understanding of the Greek word ecclesia. However, this appears to be just speculation, as the Bishop of London was overseeing the translation and most likely would have provided the list of rules and not King James himself. So the Greek word ecclesia, sometimes spelled, uh, well, it's, it's E-K-K-L-E-S-I-A, and then it's sometimes spelled E-C-C-L-E-S-I-A. The word ecclesia, it means called out or called out ones. Ecclesia was used generally to imply assembly of people, which could be for social, governmental, or religious reasons. Now, the word ecclesia's roots go back to at least 350 B.C. to the city of Athens. The original ecclesia consisted of the citizens of Athens. The ecclesia elected and dismissed leaders of the city. It set and directed the policies of the city. It declared war and or it made peace agreements. It negotiated treaties. It picked military leaders and dispatched them as necessary. It raised money as necessary. The ecclesia was an assembly of citizens whom all members had equal power and who set and policed policies. The original ecclesia in Athens, it had almost unlimited powers. The Romans came along and they saw this and they liked it. So the Romans adopted the use of the ecclesia. Now, during the Roman Empire, the ecclesia would sit around the Roman emperor or king to hear and record his proclamations. The ecclesia would then ensure that these proclamations were spread, implemented, and adhered to throughout the kingdom. So when Jesus was on the earth, everyone he and the apostles were ministering to would have been very familiar with the ecclesia. So when Jesus and the apostles refer to the ecclesia, as a, and it's translated as the church, it had a much deeper meaning than many of us has pictured in our minds, you know, when we read and hear the word church. So what comes to your mind when you think of the word church? Some, you know, they picture a building, they picture it with a steeple, you know, maybe some a quaint little old building with a steeple, you know, on the hill, and some is a big brick, massive building, um, some will picture people in the building, you know, they have, there's the pastor or the priest or the preacher, so, you know, maybe a very ornate, ornate building, it's, it's beautiful inside. Uh, some are just a very humble setting. All these things go through your mind a lot of times when you think of church. Uh, a lot of times, you know, some will picture a group of people are going in the building, they're going to sing praise and worship songs, listen to the minister preach a sermon uh, before heading home or to the restaurant for lunch. Some picture the church as a body of believers coming together to fellowship, to hear the Word of God read, preached, and taught, to minister to each other and to others who don't yet know Jesus. This picture is more of what we need to see when we think of church. Many are not picturing an assembly of God's called-out people you know, that, that, that uh, are, are hearing the Word of God read and preached and taught, who are ensuring that the Word is implemented and adhered to in our lives, and then spreading the Word of God and ministering to others. This is more of what the Ecclesia is all about. Matthew chapter 16, verse 19 of the New Living Translation, Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 20 through 23, this is a Moffat translation, 
which he exerted in raising Christ from the dead and seating him at his right hand in the heavenly sphere, above all angelic rulers, authorities, powers, and lords, above every name that is to be named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. He has put everything under his feet and set him as the head over everything for the church, the church which is his body, filled by him who fills the universe entirely. God has called us to be his assembly, his congregation, his ecclesia, his church, the body of Christ, who is the head. We, the ecclesia, the church, the body of Christ, are God's called out ones. We are to hear the preached word of God. We are to read and study his word on a regular basis. The word of God is alive. It is now. It is always present and always relevant. Our place in God as Christians as the body of Jesus, as the church, as the ecclesia, is to hear the word of God our Father, to learn the word of God our Father, and to ensure the word of God our Father and the good news of Jesus Christ is preached and taught throughout the world. We are to ensure that we adhere to God's word and that we help other Christians also adhere to the word. The church is not a group of Christians coming together because we want to come together. The church is a group of Christians coming together because we are God's called out ones, his assembly, called together by God for the purpose of hearing his voice through his word and acting as we are called by him. Our place in God is to be his called out ones, to be his body, the body of Christ, to be his arms and legs and hands and feet, to be all of what he needs us to be in this earth ministering for him as he is the head seated in the heavenlies, given us the authority and power to operate in his name. Romans chapter 12, verses 4 through 8. This is the English Standard Version. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them if prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does act of mercy with cheerfulness. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 27, this is the English Standard Version. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body. Greeks or Jews, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body... What, that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And 
our unrepresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may be the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 through 16, this is the English Standard Version, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way unto him who is the head unto Christ, for whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We are God's children, recreated in his own spirit through Jesus Christ. Our new created spirit makes us part of the body of Jesus and seats us in the heavenlies with Jesus, who is the head. Each of us have been given different gifts. We have different parts, but we are all of the same body. Our place in God is as his children, as his body, as his called out ones. We need to learn what our different gifts are and apply them for the glory of God as his ecclesia, his church. We are to abide in him and he in us. God is our Father, provider, protector, healer, comforter, shepherd, refuge, teacher, and so much more. Jesus says it like this in John 15, verses 5 through 8, New Living Translation. Yes, I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. If we understand and assume our place in God, we will be attached to the vine, and we will produce much fruit, for Jesus is the vine. We, the branches, can't live and produce fruit if we're not attached to the vine. We have no substance. We have nothing to sustain us. But Jesus, the vine, is the life-giving force to we branches, allowing us to produce much fruit, much fruit, but we have to be the branches producing fruit. We have to be the body, the arms, the legs, the hands, the feet. And in order to properly do that, we have to assume our proper place in the Lord God and let him assume his place in us. And we have to study the word and read the word and understand the word and hear the word preached so that we do understand what our place is and how we are called to go and to to help in whatever manner it is that we're called to be the body and to preach the gospel of the Great Commission found in, in uh, Matthew chapter 28. And we are out of time today. But in the next episode, number 19, we will talk about how our faith is hindered by our lack of understanding of righteousness. 
what it is and what it means to us. So be sure to join me for episode 19. I want to thank you for listening. May God bless you and keep you today and every day as we grow in faith and live the faith life 365 days per year.